Hello again, everyone, and welcome. I hope you've been enjoying your summer thus far, and we are just getting started. In fact, it's so hard to believe that the first day of summer was less than a week ago, and things are already starting to heat up, especially after last night's explosive pay-per-view Forbidden Door, which was co-promoted by AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Imagine that, companies working together for the betterment of our enjoyment and overall entertainment. What a concept. And in addition to that, we also have the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view next Saturday, not Sunday, so if you happen to be away, make sure to not misset your PVR. Anyway, big show this week with lots to cover, so I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right into it, starting with a review of last night's Forbidden Door event. Now, I missed the buy-in, so I'm just going to skip right ahead to the main card. From what I heard and read, I don't think there was anything too eventful that happened anyway. But the main card was a much different story. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening, and it all started in the first match. It was a trios match featuring the team of Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki representing the Jericho Appreciation Society against the team of Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Yuta. Actually, before I get to the match, I should mention that Kevin Kelly was on commentary for this show, representing New Japan, and there was also a Japanese ring announcer to introduce all the New Japan talent, which was another nice touch. Wheeler Yuta has really developed into something great in the last few months. This guy is going to take off any day now if he hasn't already. They announced at the start that the winners of this match will get the numbers advantage for their team at Blood and Guts on Wednesday. I'm not sure if they mentioned that already on TV. There was a really nice spot in the early going where Yuta delivered about six or seven rolling German suplexes to Jericho. Later in the match, I totally thought this would be the finish where Umino starts building momentum but catches a bat shot from Sammy coming off the ropes, but Jericho ends up missing the Judas effect, leading to a tornado DDT and follow-up brainbuster by Umino for a near fall. The end comes where both of Umino's partners are taken out, so he kind of has to fight off the heels by himself, which eventually gets the better of him, as Jericho hits the Judas effect out of nowhere for the win, so his team will have the one-man advantage on Dynamite this Wednesday. I like that Umino took the pin and Jericho got the win for his team, so everyone involved in Blood and Guts still looks strong. Up next was the match for both the ROH and IWGP World Tag Team titles featuring FTR, Rapongi Vice, and the team of Jeff Cobb and the Great O'Conn representing United Empire. Caprice Coleman from Ring of Honor also joined the announced team for this match. There was a spot where Dax hurt his back or something in the early stages of the match, so the doctors went to check on him, and he had to be removed from the match, meaning that Cash had to go it alone. Dax did return eventually, and a lot of people seemed to be questioning whether this was a work or a shoot. Later on, Rocky got a pinfall on Dax, and the ref clearly botched the finish as Dax had his shoulders counted for three, but the match kept going. And Rick Knox earned some very harsh UF'd up chants after that spot. But FTR brought the crowd right back into it with the big rig on Rocky for the win, and they get both sets of belts. Ultimately, the right team went over here, and I hope they eventually beat the Bucks as well. There's a backstage interview segment next where Tony Schiavone, who was not on commentary up until this point, is with Juice Robinson and Jay White representing Bullet Club. Not much to this promo. Basically, Robinson says that he's the rightful U.S. champion, and the match tonight between Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy is just a formality. I've really turned the corner on Jay White. He's definitely won me over this year, especially with his mic work. He reminds me a lot of James McAvoy, the actor from X-Men and Split. White just says he'll end up beating three of the best talents in the world in the same match tonight. 
The four-way matches next to crown the first All-Atlantic champion in AEW. It was Miro against Pac, against Malachi Black, against Clark Connors, who was the replacement for Tomohiro Ishii, which didn't sit too well with too many people, but the match still delivered on all points. Personally, I don't see why promotions feel the need to replace an injured talent in a match instead of just proceeding with three people. But I guess in this case, they kind of needed a representative from New Japan in there, so it kind of made sense. This match was excellent. It was so well paced and I think it did all four talents a world of good. Also, the card placement couldn't have worked out more in these guys' favor. And I'm not usually even a fan of these multi-person matches. They built to a spot where Black and Miro got in each other's face, but I'm not sure if they achieved the desired reaction. Connors ended up spearing Miro through an outside table that was leaned against the guardrail. Miro ends up coming back and cleaning house, he locked Pac in the accolade or camel clutch, I can't remember what he calls it now, but Pac was in the move for what felt like an eternity, and I totally bought into this as the finish, until Black returned and sprayed some mist in the eyes of Miro to break the hold. There was a neat spot where Black tried to lock Connors in a triangle choke, and Pac came off the top with a 450 splash to break up the grapple. This took Black out of the match and allowed Pac to submit Connors with a brutalizer or rings of Saturn to win the title. Another trios match was next. It was Sting, Darby Allin, and Shingo Takagi against the team of the Young Bucks and Phantasmo, accompanied by Hikaleo, who was the son of Haku. This was actually the only match that Shivani announced, which was kind of weird. However, Sting initially didn't come out with his teammate, so everyone was kind of wondering where Sting is. And then as the heels make their entrance, the lights go dark and Sting is shown on the top of the entrance tunnel and does a massive dive onto the pile of heels. Keep in mind, this guy is 63. That was crazy, but for some reason looked as safe as could possibly be. And it was a great way to start the match. Sting might have actually been the MVP of this match. He looked unbelievable and definitely held his own in there with those younger Lions. There was a spot where Darby drilled Phantasma with a stunner but caught a double super kick from the Young Bucks who then connected with the same move on Sting who totally no-sold it. I love that spot. Just gave the Bucks a taste of their own medicine. They eventually got Sting down and attempted the BTE trigger but missed and bumped knees, allowing Sting to deliver a double scorpion death drop. Sting then twists Phantasmo's nipples before delivering a low blow. Darby takes Hikaleo down on the outside with a coffin drop off the top rope to the floor, and then Takagi finishes off Phantasmo with the last of the dragon for the win. Shivani is backstage to interview Shota Umino, who is quickly interrupted by the Jericho Appreciation Society, or at least three of them. And I tried so hard to take this angle seriously, but Matt Maynard is just so hilarious in everything he does that I couldn't help but burst into laughter. Jericho basically said how Umino earned his respect out there, only to then throw a fireball in his face, and I'm really tired of this gimmick already. Thunder Rosa defended the AEW women's title against Tony Storm up next, and I wasn't sure what this match had to do with New Japan, but I thought I heard the announcers say that both of these ladies had competed in stardom, so I guess that would be the connection. This was another great match, and that marked two solid women's matches in a row on pay-per-view, which has to be a record for AEW. Storm attempted a Tornado DDT off the apron to the floor, but Rosa blocked it and planted Storm with a released Northern Light suplex outside, which looked pretty good. Storm answered back with a German suplex on the ring apron and then finally got the Tornado DDT to the outside that she wanted earlier. Back in the ring, Storm kicked out of the Thunderfire driver, which surprised Rosa, and Rosa's facial expressions in this match were tremendous. 
Rosa rebounded, though, with the final reckoning right out of her mentor Dustin Rose's playbook, so she keeps the belt. Honestly, I found Rosa's title run pretty underwhelming thus far, but she's had a couple of really good matches. Up next was what I thought would be my bathroom break match, but it turned out to be a pleasant surprise. In fact, I felt like I had accidentally wandered into the upside-down world and actually liked an Orange Cassidy match. He faced Will Ospreay, who was accompanied by Aussie Open, which immediately made me question why Rapongi wasn't out there. To my surprise, JR actually came out to call this match and remained on commentary for the rest of the show, and I say that because it didn't seem like the kind of match that he would enjoy. But then I thought the same about myself just a minute ago, so who knows. There was a great spot where Osprey sprinted around ringside and was caught by Ozzy Open, who launched him knees first into Orange, who was positioned against the guardrail. And I loved this spot too, where OC was delivering these lazy Kawada kicks, which was really upsetting Osprey, who blasted Orange with a forearm in retaliation, but then Orange goes back into position and starts kicking him for real, which I thought was pretty well done. OC then takes out Aussie Open on the floor with a springboard corkscrew moonsault. He then countered the Stormbreaker into a Hurricane Rana for a very close near fall. That was another crazy spot. But Osprey came back and eventually did hit the Stormbreaker for the win. After the match, Osprey and his boys start triple-teaming Orange as Rapongi Vice came running out for the save, but they were quickly taken out as well. And then the familiar music of Katsuyori Shibata hit, and the place went absolutely nuts. The live crowd just ate it up. Shibata immediately drilled Osprey with a pump kick and the heels retreated. Orange then got in Shibata's face and placed his sunglasses on Shibata, which the crowd really seemed to love as well. Up next was the match between Zack Sabre Jr. and the debuting Claudio Casagnoli, the former Cesaro, now with AEW as the replacement for Brian Danielson. Although I've heard that Casagnoli isn't actually signed with AEW, so who knows where he'll end up. Castagnoli plants Sabre with a gotch neutralizer almost right away for a near fall. There was a great spot where Sabre locked on a short arm sitter or modified triangle choke and Castagnoli powered up and actually walked up the steps while carrying the weight of Sabre, completing the sequence with a powerbomb into the ring, showing off his amazing strength. The match was really good from there. Castagnoli delivered a press slam into a European uppercut and followed up with a discus clothesline and then a cross arm powerbomb for the win. I am kind of surprised by this result, especially if the plan is to still do the Danielson versus Saber match, but I guess since Casagnoli is in blood and guts, you kind of have to make him look strong too. The four-way was next for the IWGP heavyweight title, with Jay White defending against Kazushiko Okada, Hangman Adam Page, and Adam Cole, baby. There was a unique spot where White delivered a gourd buster to Okada on the ring apron. Back in the ring, Page attempted a moonsault, but Cole caught him perfectly with a super kick in midair. Cole then tried to double-cross White and steal a pin, but White was able to escape. Dick Togo then grabbed the foot of Page, trying to prevent him from delivering the buckshot, but Page kicked him away and then hit the dead eye on White and followed that up with a buckshot lariat, but Okada made the save. The ending was kind of weird. Okada attempts the Rainmaker on Cole, but Cole ducks, and then Okada walks right into the Blade Runner from White, who rolls over and actually pins Cole to retain, even though Cole never had the move hit on him but I later discovered that Cole sustained a head injury in the match, and they had to call the audible. I really hope he's okay, but it was a shame because the match was really good. And then, of course, we got the main event for the interim AEW world title between John Moxley, who was accompanied to the ring by William Regal, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. 
Moxley delivered a Uranagi through an outside table in the early going, and then I missed what happened, but Moxley suddenly started gushing blood from his forehead. Tanahashi hit a beautiful looking frog splash, but Moxley countered the pin attempt into a bulldog choke, which I thought would be the finish, but Tanahashi managed to escape. Moxley then drilled Tanahashi with rapid elbows to the collarbone and then choked him right up to his feet, finishing the sequence with a paradigm shift for the final three count and to become the interim champion. But it didn't end there. Of course it didn't. The Jericho Appreciation Society ran out after the match and attacked both guys, which brought out Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz, and Wheeler Yuta, and they engaged in a huge brawl until the newest AEW acquisition, Claudio Casagnoli, came running out and cleaned house. I really like how they're booking this guy thus far. I know it's only been one show, but he already feels like a main eventer, and I hope they continue this momentum past blood and guts. So that was Forbidden Door, but that door is shut, at least for now. It's in the rearview mirror, and another one is about to open. That being the door to money in the bank. I haven't been a huge fan of this concept in recent years, specifically because the last few money in the bank winners have not exactly been elevated up the card. It just seemed like they meant to push the gimmick and not the talent. But that doesn't seem to be the case, pardon the pun, this year. At least not in the men's match, as it seems like each participant thus far has an equal chance of winning and I can see all but maybe Sheamus getting a decent push out of it. Some have actually started getting that push. Given the talent in the match thus far, I can see someone like Sammy or Drew winning, but I think this concept is designed for a heel to win, and especially one who's a good talker, which automatically rules out Omos. And since Drew is already getting his match at the Clash at the Castle event, I don't really think he needs this win either. So it really comes down to Seth or Sammy. And as much as I'd love to see Sammy win, I don't think the WWE will ultimately get behind him. I do like the idea of him pledging to be in the bloodline, but they keep rejecting him, so he decides to take matters into his own hands and eventually cashes in and defeats Roman, but I just don't see that happening at this point in time. Instead, I think this is a match for Seth to win so they can further the storyline with him and Cody, continuing his momentum after the injury angle, and they can still do the match between Roman and The Rock at Mania as the Money in the Bank holder still has a few months after that to cash in, so I'm going with Seth here. Speaking of the bloodline, the Usos are also set to defend their unified tag titles on this card against the Street Profits. I like both teams, and as much as I'd like to see the Profits win, I don't think this is the right time for a title change. I think they might end up teasing dissension between the Profits in this match, and unlike most teams, I don't expect them to actually break up, but instead repair their relationship over time, so it'll mean a lot more when they actually do end up winning the belts. The finish I'm picturing here is Montez will set up to deliver his frog splash, but as he ascends the buckles, Dawkins tackles Jimmy outside the ring, but they bounce off the ropes, causing Ford to lose his balance, and allowing Jay to take advantage with a super kick and flying splash to keep the belts. After the match, Dawkins tries to help Montez up, but Ford aggressively pushes his hand away and they continue arguing about the loss. The two women's title matches on the show are probably the most puzzling, as I don't think either challenger has been presented as any threat to either champion's title reign. At least in the case of Bianca, she was originally scheduled to face Rhea Ripley, who had to pull out due to injury, so that would have been a much more compelling match. Over the last several years, they have done a masterful job of presenting Carmella as a joke. She's not someone to be taken seriously as championship material, and this is nothing more than a transitional feud, as is the feud between Ronda Rousey and Natalia, which just seems so forced. 
We all know that Rousey and Natty are the best of friends, and this just doesn't feel natural at all. There isn't a lot of believability here, which is what pro wrestling, or sports entertainment as it were, was built on. I think both champs are retaining pretty decisively here. Rousey going over Natalia with a straight armbar finish, perhaps maybe finding a counter to the sharpshooter and transitioning into her own submission hold. Bianca will likely get a pretty clean victory over Carmella as well with a KOD, but I don't expect it to end there. Stay tuned for more. We also have the US title defense of Austin Theory, or Theory, what a dumb name, who turns back the challenge of Bobby Lashley. There are several issues I have with this match. Firstly, I don't buy Lashley as a babyface at all. A man of his stature and overall presence is just much more suited to be a heel. Secondly, Theory just doesn't do it for me. And I'm not sure what it is. The potential is definitely there, but he hasn't had his breakout moment yet. I feel like he's just playing a character, but I don't really buy this as an extension of his real-life persona. I guess time will tell, but I have a hard time getting into someone who was so handily defeated by a non-wrestler in Pat McAfee at Mania, and then that non-wrestler proceeds to get destroyed and defeated by an 80-year-old man who can barely move. Not a great way to build new stars in my opinion. Unfortunately, I don't see this one ending here. I think we're getting some kind of non-finish or DQ. I can see something where Theory goes to use the belt, but Lashley stops him and ends up using it on Theory, only to get caught red-handed by the ref and disqualified, so Theory retains and then Lashley destroys him afterwards. The women's Money in the Bank match will round out the card, and unlike the men's, this one is much less interesting, as there are only two or maybe three people that I can see the WWE machine actually getting behind. I just hope that they don't do what they've done for the last several years and swerve us with a left field surprise just for the sake of the surprise, where the individual has a one month title reign and then sinks right back down to mid card or lower once they lose the belt. It just devalues the championship, which is one of the reasons I think they should do away with this gimmick, or at least get rid of the pay-per-view and bring it back to Mania. Originally, I had an idea for Rhea Ripley to lose her women's title match early and then take out someone in the Money in the Bank match and replace them like her former mentor Edge did several years ago and then go on to win the briefcase. With Rhea now injured, I had to rethink my whole booking strategy. So I'm thinking same scenario except with Becky Lynch. She's been frustrated lately after not finding a way into the match, so I think she takes out Liv and replaces her and goes on to win the case or she somehow qualifies for the match tonight. Either way, I'm picking Becky to win, and then after the Raw Championship match later in the night, she attempts to cash in on Bianca, but Bianca is ready for her until Carmella sneak attacks Bianca after the match, allowing Becky to finally cash in, hit a manhandle slam, and win her precious back. Let's face it, she's getting the title back at some point anyway, so why waste time? It's interesting too that SummerSlam is in July this year, only a few weeks after the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, so I'm going to attempt to predict the full SummerSlam card with this week's fantasy forecast. Already announced is Roman Reigns vs Brock Lesnar in a last man standing match for the Universal title. Yawn. We also have the match between Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin which really came together out of nowhere. And with John Cena announced to return tonight, I've been hearing rumors of him versus Theory. I'm not currently digging that match, but we'll see how it plays out. I can picture Theory getting in Cena's face and bringing up some fake childhood story of how he tried to get a selfie with Cena years ago as a fan, but Cena snubbed him or something, and now it's time for payback. 
This will lead to Cena distracting Theory in a rematch against Bobby Lashley, leading to Lashley defeating Theory for the US title, thus adding more fuel to the fire. And now that Lashley will be US champion, why not unify the mid-card titles as well? Unification matches seem to be the trend these days, so I'm thinking we get Lashley vs. Gunther in a unification match at SummerSlam. I'm not so much a fan of Sheamus, but he and Drew McIntyre seem to have such undeniable chemistry in singles matches, so I wouldn't mind seeing those two go at it one-on-one. -on -one. But considering that Drew is next in line for either Brock or Roman, I feel like a singles match against Sheamus would be a step down, and I'm thinking instead we'll get a tag title match with those two against the Usos since they already have a non-title victory as of this past Friday, and it'll help advance the feud between Drew and Roman heading towards Clash at the Castle. I don't know what it is, but I have been less than impressed with the women's division as of late. There are currently no draws on either side and no match combinations that haven't yet been done. I'm thinking we'll get Becky defending her new Raw title against Bianca Belair in the rubber match, which I originally thought should be an Iron Woman match, but considering that there may be multiple matches on this card, I don't know if a lengthier match will be the way to go here, so they can just as easily do a ladder or cage match. It's a lot harder to book Ronda Rousey's opponent as no one really jumps off the page. I mean, I guess they could just bring Charlotte back, but who really wants to see that again, especially when we're already getting a rematch between Brock and Roman? I'm guessing this may be where Bailey returns as Ronda's next challenger. Or you could do Ronda vs. Shayna, that might be a compelling match for fans, but not so much for the company, which isn't too high on Shayna. So I'm thinking probably Ronda vs. Bailey is a more likely option. I've also been hearing rumors that new women's tag team champions will be crowned soon. Personally, I don't see the need, since they barely have enough women to make up a singles division, much less a tag division. But if they must, I'm guessing they'll do a tournament where the finals will be held at SummerSlam, featuring the best team on SmackDown against the best team on Raw, and by process of elimination, I'm going to go with Raquel Rodriguez and Lacey Evans against Liv Morgan and Alexa Bliss. Edge will likely be out for revenge as well against his former Judgment Day protégés, especially their new leader, Finn Balor, so I'm guessing we'll get a one-on-one -on -one match between those two. It'll be a real shame if we don't get AJ Styles on this card, and an equal shame if we don't get Kevin Owens. Unfortunately, I think only one of them will make the cut, and I ultimately don't think it'll be KO, because I don't personally think his feud with Ezekiel is worthy of an event like this, and that's not on the talent, but more on the booking. It looks like they started teasing something with AJ and Miz this past week, so I'm thinking that'll be the final match on the SummerSlam card. Originally, I was going to book Seth Rollins on this card as well in a match against Riddle, but considering that I had predicted that Seth would win the Money in the Bank briefcase, I think it might be a wiser decision to have him off the card, thus increasing the probability of a cash-in. Or they could just do Seth versus Riddle in the opening match. So there you have it. That wraps up another week. I'm back in my regular Sunday afternoon time slot next week to review the Money in the Bank show. Until then, I'll leave you with an A-B-C-Y-A.